0: Welcome to Exposed. Real people, real stories, uncensored. You'll hear it all, as well as secrets from your host, Samantha X. She was told as a teenager that she had been born with a rare medical condition called MRKH. She discovered she had been born without a vagina or a wound. Her struggle for body acceptance was brutal yet beautiful. And discovering her sexuality became her longest road to overcome. Ali is an author, speaker and international ambassador for women's health and happiness. She co-founded Global MRKH and her podcast Stigma Shakers is coming soon. Ali, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Amanda. It's been a whirlwind friend affair (laughs) since we
1: connected. (laughs) Like,
0: what One week, two weeks ago. I know. Well, what happened is my first episode came out and we were put in touch. Or how did it happen? You, you contact, you contacted me, didn't you?
1: Yes, I did. My wonderful friend, Nikki, he lives over in Byron. She knows a lot about my story and she knows a lot about the book that I've written. And in turn, the, the podcast that I want to, well, we'll be launching in July, Stigma Shakers. And I've, I actually. It, I remember being in the hairdressers in Bondi once and reading an article about you. And I just linked that, actually. Right. Um, and she said, I really think you should reach out to Amanda. I think that you'd have a lot of overlapping similarities. So I thought... Oh, we do.
0: We do, don't
1: we? And I think that's the really interesting... I think that's a really interesting thing when we had like our pre-brief call about how many similarities there, despite our start off in life. Very different. So, yeah, I was – and you responded immediately and I
0: was thrilled. Oh, good. Well, I think you've got a – I think you're an amazing woman and having talked to you even even more so. Um, Even though our our medical stories are very different, I was born with a vagina and you weren't, we – our our sort of – the way we feel about intimacy and sex is very, very similar and the journeys mm. that we're both overcoming. So Ali, tell, tell everybody here, what is MRKH? What does it actually mean?
1: Mayor rokotansky Kalsterhauser syndrome is a congenital condition, meaning it's present at birth. It does affect one in 5,000 females and it's characterized by the underdevelopment or the absence of a uterus, cervix and vaginal canal. Um, Externally, you'd never know because I was born with ovaries. So my, you know, my estrogen was firing and I was developed a typical as a typical female. I kind of don't like the word normal. I kind of. yeah. Um, Yeah. So I found out that I had MRKH because I didn't get my first period. If I was to be honest, there was a few little stop starts when it comes to exploration, um,
0: but primarily it was that, yeah. So, I mean, as a young child, you learn, well, as a child, you, you eventually end up masturbating, don't you, as um, most people do. Did you, did you feel yourself? Did you? I mean, so visually, did you have a vaginal hole or, or was everything closed up? So,
1: because we're sort of formed outside in, my vulva, like everybody, you know, not, not like everybody, but typically we w- the vulva, the external, w- was what you would expect to see right. on a typical female. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, because I didn't know any different until, you know, hovering around the age of 16 when we think we're going to get our first period, which was just harrowing <laughs> when it never arrived. Right. I'm like... Going into school, wondering, is this the day that I get blood on my school? You know, it was just really difficult. And, but, yep. you know, honestly and candidly, I came across porn, <laughs> um, not necessarily sort of yes. searching in some yes. ways, but look, let's be honest, we all come across porn. And I thought, can I swear?
0: Yes, yes, yes. yes.
1: <laughs> I, I thought, fuck yes. it. I'm just going to see if my body or what I can do to my body looks like the women. In the films Mm -hmm. and I honestly I just I was really determined to get through this essential blockage that I felt and I thought am I doing it you know am I doing it wrong um am I not pushing hard enough is it because my hymen is like literally a still gate I just couldn't understand but then you know you read so much as teenagers about you know when the, the the cherry popping and how painful or um, resistant it is and so I did try but then I kind of stopped <laughs> and just then
0: got on, got so, on with
1: my childhood
0: okay so when you said you tried did you try and stick your finger inside you and there was nothing to feel or yes yeah, so I was born so it worked out through obviously initial investigation
1: that I was born with it was essentially the length of your thumbnail if that they call it a dimple well, and you know I, I have to kind of I preface this by saying, like everybody is slightly different, and for me, whether I say I had a dimple or I didn't have anything, for all intents and purposes, it wasn't there. So for me, I was born without a vagina, straight okay. canal, but no, nothing. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't okay. penetrate. But I also went on a a holiday in my teens with my mum and her partner and a best friend, and you know, like we're kind of going into that sort of sexual era of of discovery, and we had like this. You know, we were going out every night and and much to my mother's horror. And I did meet a, we met like a couple of barmen, as you do. And we sort of went our separate ways, as you do. Oh, God, you know, and I fell in love with him. Of course I did. And I wrote him a letter and he never replied, but that's a separate story. Um,
0: right. Yeah, so <laughs> I did. I know, it, yeah.
1: I know, I know. And I, th- So I did, I did attempt to have sex with him.
0: And again, okay. So his penis tried to go into your vagina. You couldn't do it.
1: Yes. You couldn't do it. it. So I was like, again, I
0: didn't think the worst
1: again. I think it was probably back to that thing again of, um, okay, well, you know, my body might just be a little bit more rigid because you don't, you can't contemplate what MRKH is when you've never heard anything of that sort of magnitude. So you go through all the things that you read about in your, you know, the teen magazines, the Judy Bloom books. You just think eventually it will come good. And. I still hadn't received my first period at this point at 16 and I did try to obviously have sex at 16 and it, and it didn't work. And I was mortified, like Mm. mortified, embarrassed, kind of grateful in a sense, looking back now that, you know, my first sexual experience wasn't Mm. with a random guy in, in Greece, I think it was. Um, again, so I just Mm. went back and waited like all girls wait for the arrival of the first period and some sort of understanding of what their bodies can do
0: mm. did you tell anyone did you tell your mom
1: no no I mean I've got a really exp- I've got a really open relationship with my mum, um and she's always encouraged openness but again it's it's one of those things isn't it you just don't know how to broach a topic with I don't even think I told my friends I was kind of like a bit of an awkward um teenager anyway I was kind of quite a deep thinker, quite quiet so I didn't mm. really and I again I didn't think
0: anything was amiss. Mm, mm. Well I mean I'd never heard of MRKH until you, you'd called me to be honest so I'm not surprised at 16 that, that you had no idea what it was. So tell us about your journey how did you find out you had MRKH and 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 how did that come about? so i went to the went to the g
1: p went to the nice little village family practice g p and um he did mm. a internal um yeah he he again tried to stick his finger in my vaginal canal and he couldn't, but I think that was the first inkling that some you know he the look on his face was like mm-hmm. <laughs> um we need yeah. to get you referred for." an ultrasound so I drank like a ton of water one day and obviously went into the ultrasound and it's always interesting when a sonographer leaves the room without explanation because whatever they have <laughs> discovered or not discovered it's not good. was not yeah. good and of course they're not you know able to give you diagnose like a diagnosis so I was then onward referred and I have to be honest like the NHS system in the UK is really functional it was really functional for me it was a very quick process I was lucky luckier than most. Um, and then we went into this amazing flagship hospital in London and they delivered the diagnosis. But
0: did I absorb it? No. I mean, I was a child and my parents were there. Did, did they say you have no vagina? How did they word it? Well, I had, I should, sorry, a step before I went and had a laparoscopy, which is they, they stick a camera
1: in your abdomen. And I was in a hospital. This is before the flagship actually. Big fact missed. Um, and he, you, you know, the day that he drew the curtain around my hospital bed was quite weird because you obviously think that something is quite serious or there's there's information that needs to be sensitively delivered. And my mum was sitting next sat next to me, and he drew a diagram. It's so weird what you remember. Like they used the pencil, and I still, mm. I still yeah. didn't understand. I remember thinking when I wake up from this procedure, which was under anesthetic, I will be normal and I will go into Reading, which is the town I lived in next weekend. And I will go and have my normal life as a normal woman, have the normal sex, have the normal period and everything will be fine. And of course that diagnosis meant, but it was like, you know, Amanda, it was like white noise I I still didn't get it and I went home and yeah. everyone was really concerned and I couldn't really understand their concern and I was
0: referred through the hospital to have treatment dilatory treatment So what did he say he used the words you have no vagina you were born without a vagina and how did that make you feel that's a bit of a shock
1: but Yeah um how did I feel I honestly don't think I was feeling and that is why my story has gone on so long because I hadn't felt and I couldn't comprehend. And that is where, as we chatted about, that is where the detachment set in because it literally was trauma. And when trauma happens, you tend to separate yourself from the trauma in order to cope and function. And I just, you know, there is nothing more mortifying as a teenage girl having her vagina basically discussed constantly, and open forums with your parents. And immediately Mm -hmm. that is when the divide came between me and my peers or me and womanhood. And when I was told that...
0: And you and your body, I should imagine. Oh, yeah.
1: Look, I'd already, you know, and again, a bit of a a content warning, trigger warning. I'd already dabbled in self-harm. I, I, as we chatted about last week, I think that I've always suffered from a level of depression. So I was already a bit of a dark and moody teenager. And this was just like a license just to go full throttle and be destructive as I could and act out as much as I could. And when I went to hospital for an inpatient program, I went through the process of dilation over surgery because when you have surgery, you have to dilate anyway. It's a very seemingly quick fix because you're not part of the process, but, but people are part of the process. And so I went into hospital and the, the it was for three days and my dad took me. God bless his heart for trying to manage the situation with his teenage daughter and. I was dropped off and I remember the room and I was on my own. And for three days, I was shown, instructed how to create a vagina, essentially. And it was, you know, to gain some sort of visuals, sort of lying on my back, you sort of, you splay your knees, opened into like a butterfly shape. And you're given three different sizes of dilators. Obviously, the first being maybe two inches very thin because vaginas, Designed to be stretchy. So I did have like muscle mass and the makings of like, you know, it nearly got there, but it didn't quite get there. Um, this happens in the first sort of six to eight weeks. I so- should add about like, di- yeah, my, my, you know, in my mother's womb, it okay. was already over before six weeks. <laughs> the doctor, when he delivered the diagnosis, said to me that you have been born without a vagina and a uterus. In order to have penetrative sex or have a vaginal canal, you will have to make one, but you will always be infertile and you will be unable to carry a child biologically.
0: Okay. Ali, that is earth shattering, life destroying news. What happened next? I went and made my vagina. How did that make you feel? What 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 was going through your mind straight away? That's that's earth shattering news for how old a seventeen year old, sixteen year old, sixteen at the time. Um, I felt like a freak. Um, I felt
1: massively less than. I didn't immediately didn't understand if I was a woman in the context of what society will say. I felt that the loneliness and the shame was palpable. And if, if there's any time that an emotion is too great to understand, it truly was then. It, I was grief stricken. I felt, you know, before I'd even started making a vagina, like that was a hideous, I just felt dirty. I felt grimy. And I was dating this guy at the time. And I told, you know, this is what happens because you don't understand the gravitas of it. You just deliver it like really matter of fact. And I would, you know, I would say it in the, I think the first week when I came out of hospital, I went to the pub, a little underage, and I just delivered it to a group mm-hmm. of people sat at a table thinking, oh yeah, I was born without I vagina. Know, and guess what? Vagina. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they recommend lots of sex and everyone laughed. And I was like, okay. But I don't know. We're, we're very innocent and naive as, as teenagers. So I don't, you know, no one probably, mm. and including me, didn't appreciate what was going to happen next. Mm.
0: And the doctor said you have to make your own vagina. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, is it ha- possible for you to make your own vagina? Mm-hmm.
1: It, is, it is possible. Um, you know, obviously everyone's circumstances are different. Some people will... Um, go through dilatory therapy. Some people will not. Some people will have surgery. Some people who don't know will use sex as dilation in, you know, talking of the broader spectrum and I'll come back. But in, the, you know, there's certain cultures and countries where this would be hugely, um, societally alienating. And so you try, you know, people might try to have sex through their urethra. survey might just continue to have anal sex. You know, there's all, there's always, there's different ways that people try to do this when they, in the lack of knowledge. But for me, yeah, I was told that you go to London, you'll spend three days in hospital being shown, then you'll go home and continue the process to make, make your vagina
0: as a child. I can't imagine what that, what, what, what's that like? I can't imagine what that would be like. I mean, as a 16 year old, I didn't, I was too embarrassed to ever talk about sex or, or, um, you know, it was just embarrassing. It's embarrassing mm. when you're that age. So to have to talk to, about your vagina to your parents um, would have been horrific. <laughs> Interestingly,
1: when I was thinking about sort of like the, the notes and the thoughts around this podcast, I, it, was, it was like a different type of exposure. Of, of course, everyone wanted to give me sympathy and support, but I felt like everybody knew and everyone was looking at me as though they were trying to undress me and trying to think, well, what does she look like down there? And, you know, there is nothing worse than being upstairs in your bedroom for 20 minutes, morning and night, before school, after school, whilst your family are going about their daily business, watching TV, making dinner, whilst you're like, I'm just, I just got to go make my vagina. I'll be back. I'll be downstairs in a second and it, it literally was like that and my mum even named them trying to sort of like personalize my dilators bless her but I just I just remember like having a unlimited supply of like KY jelly and mm-hmm. you know imagine imagine taking the pad of your right thumb and pushing it into the palm of your left hand and once the blood drains from your knuckles that is the pressure which you're told to apply and did it hurt I li- oh god did it hurt yeah i mean yeah it did it was it was uncomfortable it was awkward you're pushing you're pushing into your body like you're pushing into your soul <laughs> um and it was you know i think of it a bit like self harm by consent It felt like I was abusing myself. Um, I equaled intimacy with pain, um, progress with pain, passion with pain, like the relationship that I was making with my vagina and my body and the sanctity of that was shrouded in, in a shame like fucking like KY jelly like it's over your hands like you can smell it like it's on your bed sheets it's it's sort of like a pool of a breeding ground of like just disgust I just felt I felt disgusting mm.
0: I can I can totally imagine that and how did that you touched on it earlier how did that shape your perception around sex and love so so when, when friends your age were having sex with their boyfriends and, you know, giggling about being on the pill or whatever, what, you were in your bedroom trying to make your own vagina. And how, how did that make you feel in comparison to your friends? I lied an awful lot. Um,
1: I would memorize contraceptive pills. Um, so if anyone was to ever ask, I knew what I was talking about. You know, when girls say, have you got a spare tampon? I would say, I'm all out. I even right. at one point got a pregnancy test just to feel what it would be like and maybe that they made a mistake. And when I eventually got my vagina, I I went to, um, I was living in England. I was born in England, but as a half Aussie, I was able to, to go over there. And I went there to lose my virginity because I didn't want I didn't want everyone asking me like about my first time. I didn't want to have to be here whilst everyone not like I've got a this is in my head. This wasn't ever, this wasn't something I heard. This was a story I played. But but I didn't want people thinking about when is she gonna have sex? What will it be like? And I went over to Australia with my kit of dilators Um <clears throat> and I had sex one night and this, and he, it was, I don't know, it was fine. It was, but I, be, because I'd already Have had it, like. How, how
0: long was your vagina at this stage? Probably about five how inches. How long was your vagina at this stage? Okay. Five, I, how long yeah, did that probably, take to get to five inches? Nine months it's a bit like does that take you nine months mm-hmm. yeah,
1: it's a bit like when um i don't know, I kind of liken it if you want to lose weight, like and I have been through that so many times um you know you mm. you lo- you lose the first few pounds quite quickly, but it's the end it's like the the older like the older part. I I don't know if this is going to come across okay, but that's the struggling part is like getting past the three inches mark. That's when you start to get into like tough territory. Right. And that was probably out of those nine months, that probably was about
0: six of those. Um, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. God, I mean, that just sounds so painful, Ali. I I mean, I'm wincing here. That would have been so painful for you to do that. Um, So what was the first time you had sex like? Ah. well, um, didn't really put much thought into
1: it. Do do we, do, do you think when we lose our virginity for the first time, I think it just sort of just, does it just happen? Um, oh, it was, you know, went out for a few beers, sort of went back to my grandma's house who I was staying with at the time, you know, snuck him into my room and had sex. But because I'd already, my my thing was, I, I knew that it would, I knew that I would have penetrative sex because I'd already known that it's, something will go in. Um, but it wasn't like. Hang on, you'd already, you'd, you'd already, Ali, sorry, you'd already had penetrative sex? No, no, because I'd already sort of penetrated my body, I should say, with dilators. I knew that there was. An op- there was an opening. There was a space to fit the p- the penis. Mm-hmm. But when he did it, mm-hmm. at that point, I'd already learned the art of disconnection from my body. And we, we sort of, I think this is where our stories sort of start to intertwine. Mm. Um, and it wasn't, uh, didn't take too long. And I was kind of, I was so happy that it worked. And I remember going into the bathroom, looking at myself, thinking, do you look any different today? And I didn't didn't look like any different and I didn't feel any more a woman. But when I got my vagina, (laughs) my custom-made vagina, I was damn sure that I was going to use it. And it was really, um, I'm going to prove my womanhood a lot. And I was incredibly promiscuous in the early days because I was almost trying to, um, I was on a race with womanhood. I think I was sort of trying to justify that I was desirable, that I was normal, that I was sexy, that I could do what all the other girls did. But I didn't use my body well because I'd already decided I hated it in hospital. So the rampage that I went on was dangerous um hugely harrowing for for my self-esteem and my sexual self-esteem so the relationship that I had with with sex and whether it be one night stands or whether it be in relationships was I don't I can't I can describe it I felt like I felt like a bit of an object
0: um And I didn't value that. And when we spoke before, we were, I mean, I, I can relate to what you were saying that disassociation Mm. and when you're disassociated or when you've done it once or twice in a dose, in a disassociated state, it's very Mm. hard to then thaw out and i think i use that word quite a lot with you to thaw out and then be connected and to be present because you have no blueprint of how to do that i mean i had no blueprint of how to do that when i disassociated which is why i capitalized on my on it and became an escort you know because you didn't have to feel anything during sex and i can understand you saying that um, you felt the same way and even though we have very different stories we have very different similar uh,
1: oh, it was crazy. Crazy speaking with you. I loved it <clears throat> because like you, and it was one of those, you know, with Samantha X, I adopted my own sort of alias. I used to introduce myself as Sarah. Now Sarah was someone who was incredibly confident. Um, She was incredibly sexy. She knew the noises to make. She knew the way that the body was supposed to move and she would make sure that the man was ultimately pleasured and it had nothing to do with her. And then she could just walk away.
0: I'm sorry. Uh, you thought about sex work at one time, didn't you? <laughs> I did. And this is in the book. So yeah. this isn't a
1: massive disclaimer. <laughs> um, I thought this was quite crazy. <laughs> I thought this was quite crazy with you and I. And I haven't really shared it much outside of the pages that it's written on. So I was working in a pub <clears throat> in, in my town. Pubs are great. When you, when you're trying to be anonymous or you don't really want anyone to ask any questions, because everyone tends to hang out in pubs, has this bit of a, bit of a black sheep that they don't really want anyone to find out about. Um, yeah. So I was, I was in a relationship at the time and it was a very abusive relationship. It was a physically abusive. I was drinking a shit ton of booze. Um, and my, I remember my boyfriend at the time, we were standing around with a bunch of regulars and he knew about my diagnosis because someone had told him out of spite for me. So I never really got to share it. And and that was also done. That was also done publicly. That was great. And, um, he turned around and he said to the locals, is it any wonder that I don't want to have sex with that? And I thought, Oh, like I'm, I must be, I must be disgusting. So what best, what better to do than put my vagina to work? And we'd been drinking and I'd taken myself away from the table and I spoke to some random regular and he said that there was a guy in London that he knew who I could work for, a pimp. And I got in a taxi, took a bunch of money out the bank um, cash point, And I asked the taxi driver to drive me to London and about an hour and 15 minutes into the journey, we pulled over at a petrol station to get some petrol. And, um, I sobered up and I said to the taxi driver, take me back, take me back home. And he did. And I walked back into the pub and I sat down with the table. No one asked where I'd been. And I didn't tell anyone where I'd been. And that was a real sliding doors moment
0: what could have been yeah and I'm really glad you didn't follow that path Ali because you have to be so strong to do sex work and when you're feeling well you weren't in a great place were you I wasn't in a great place but it's interesting what you say
1: about the strength because I, I was really strong with disconnection mm. I'd, I, I'd nailed that I, I wasn't strong in my heart but I had built up the most formidable barrier between me and my body or me and emotions that I pretty much like the, 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 the lengths you go to and you, I don't know, people probably ask you this, like, how could you do it? How could you do that? How could you get, put yourself into situations of, of danger, of shame, of opinion? Um, so publicly. But, so publicly. So pub, so publicly or anonymously. And then obviously I've been talking about it publicly for 15 years and it doesn't get any easier and it doesn't always get any more accepted. And I think that's what's important about why you and I do what we do, because labeling people with shame and their societal expectations without trying to understand or dig deep or see a person is is so like it's so archaic. It's it's so regressive and it's so harmful. You know, everyone's got a story. Everybody's got pain, and everyone has a reason why they choose to do what they do. And I think for me, was I a slut, or was I an incredibly sad person? And I don't even think. By the way, what we choose to do with our bodies and how we choose to do with our bodies is completely one hundred percent our choice. You know. Mm-hmm. until everyone is mm-hmm. has reached their perfection then I think judging people is um is a little reckless
0: yeah it's a very easy to judge other people without knowing their story isn't it yeah Ali the doctor told you um when he told you you didn't have a vagina that you would never have children how did that impact you do you know
1: what <laughs> I think when we're that young we don't I don't know. I mean, I know we sometimes, I'm going to stereotype, we get our dolls and we think we're going to be mums one day. But it didn't, that really didn't sink in, not because it was so traumatic. It's because it possibly wasn't as relevant at 16. But I think I just accepted that I never would. But as you get older and you start to sort of see your peers do things that you literally cannot do, the, the grief has only kind of happened in the last 10 years, but to know that you're never going to carry a child biologically, your eyes are on stalks. So you see every pregnant woman, there possibly is, There just have mm. a person to be a hundred in front of you at any one time. Um, mm. The grief that my mum had for me because she knew that I would never experience what she had experienced, not that I wouldn't deliver them grandchildren, that, that was my guilt that I would never deliver them grandchildren and that they would have to overcome that loss as well. Um, Going back to the point of like wanting to see if the doctors were wrong and taking a pregnancy test, that just goes to show probably how sad and in denial I was at the time. And I chose men who weren't looking for a partner to be the mother of their child, I went out of my way to make sure that I would be with people who were not interested in doing something that I couldn't do. They didn't really care. They probably weren't looking for a, a functional, healthy person themselves in so many ways, if you know, they were a little bit unhealthy themselves at the time. And it wasn't till probably, I think when my brother started having children and my best friend starting ha- having children that's when I decided to leave the UK and go to Australia. I, you know, I was a master of being on the run. Um, and I found myself in Bondi, which we know <laughs> can be kind of like a bit of a mecca for lost souls. And I was with yes, a partner at the time. Yes, I ran away but, there um, too, yeah. We all run, we get to Bondi with beads of sweat (laughs) dropping down us with really juicy stories or really difficult stories because everyone who goes to Bondi's, or not everyone, I should probably edit that, but a large majority of people definitely within my network were overcoming something. And their some things tended to be quite big, which is probably why I gravitated towards people with a backstory because I also, I find it fascinating. I find it inspiring and it's a lot less lonely knowing that you're not a fuck up or a freak or the only one overcoming trauma. So Bondi is perfect. You know, yoga on every, you know, corner, we've got a beach. It's, it's one of the, it's, it's an ongoing retreat <laughs> or rehab, whatever way you want to
0: look at it. It's not really, it's not really real. Bondi is not really real life, is it? It's, it's the furthest, we one of the furthest know. places you could get, from home um and you're just you know you just find just you just transport into this magical playground and you're right you know I was doing a geographical I was running away from home from London and and so were you and so are many people in the area mm. have you found sorry
1: I know this isn't have, have you found sort of solace in Bondi oh. have you kind of um has it been healing for you
0: Look, in all honesty, I think what I've realized is that you can transport yourself around the world and you're still stuck with you, you know. And it's only recently that I'm, in the past year, that I'm working so hard on self-development that it doesn't matter where I am in the world, I'll be okay because I'm working on my internal um, mm-hmm. demons. And I think once, you've, once you can manage and understand trauma, um, you can be, I could be living in London again. I don't want to live in London again. I don't want to live, uh, I, I, you know, that, that's mm. my life there is over. But I did learn that you can move to Bondi, for example, and still have the demons. so The demons mm. are still there. Did you agree?
1: Yes. <laughs> I went over with a, another boyfriend. Um, I thought we were just going to go for six months, but the Bondi bubble is, uh, quite, it's quite good at holding you in we actually we broke up which was the which was a kind of godsend it was like a turnaround era for me and I thought oh if we break up I'll just go back to to the UK but it really was um it was a bit of a the fork in the road it was a bit of the precipice for change do I continue being a passenger in life and observing life happen around me And happiness, I don't know what happy was. I still struggle with the word, to be honest. Um, Or do I stay and reconnect? And I know that's a real buzzy word, but I think given the type of place Bondi can be, if you tap into its magic of the yoga of like-minded people, then the path back to me, it sounds so cheesy. That really started to take form, <laughs> and that's when I is. I know I've got them all today, but that's really when it all started. You know, a series of turnaround moments. One of which was my mum when she had a stroke, and she mm-hmm. recovered. And she's had like one of these journeys. She's had hard. She's had a hard life, but also a great life. And but she mm-hmm. kind of taught me to get honest with yourself and to heal and recover if you can. So the boyfriend left and oh my God, it, my, my new life began. It really felt like a new life was, I was adopting this new person. I was, I was becoming Ali, I think in that moment. And it just took flight.
0: It was incredible. Best, best decade so far. Uh, hmm. I, 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 so far your life's not over yet i I relate to that in the way that you know i gave up being samantha per se um even though my name's samantha for the media purposes in this podcast and was am learning to be amanda again and it's like like you say you're like it's a rebirth isn't it um and i don't really i mean happiness was always a word i didn't understand either oh and normal is a word i don't really understand particularly being a normal woman um, and we touched on that, and it's such a buzzword these days. Or people, you know, trying to define what a normal woman is. What What is a normal woman to you? And do you feel like a normal woman now? Womanhood.
1: <laughs> mm. I w- I learnt what. What? Well, we're not We're not born into this world, are we, with an instructional guide when we pop out our mum's vagina. You know, we take on board what people teach us. We take on board what we read, what the TV says. And so you think you've got to go through all these little milestones, despite the fact that I was lying throughout a lot of my milestones. Um, and so I was trying so hard to match the definition that was l- largely written for me, for all of us. And I was trying to coexist with a lie. And I just kept thinking, when am I going to feel like a woman? What more do I have to do? I've done the vagina. I've had the sex. Mm. I've overcome the fact that I won't have children. I did I did dabble with the idea of egg freezing and potential surrogacy. I had a surrogate actually, which is an incredible gift of all gifts, who said I'd carry the child for mm. you. But I wasn't in a healthy, stable relationship. Surprise, surprise. Um, mm-hmm. And so I kind of put that. I put that dream to bed and that, that was grief. But I think for me now, I thought, well, if my trying to match this version of womanhood has given me so much pain, then I need to unlearn everything that I've been told a woman is. And I have Mm -hmm. to explore my own version of womanhood. So womanhood Mm -hmm. could be, you don't have to bleed to be a woman. You don't have to have a vagina to be a woman. You don't have to carry a baby to be a woman. To me womanhood is exactly how you want to define it yourself. Am I kind? Am I compassionate? Am I loving? Am I accepting that of other people? Yes, yeah, sure I don't have that uterus in my 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 stomach, but there is so much more to me than an organ. And I'm just now learning that the world needs all types of of women. It needs storytellers. It needs educators. It needs nurses. It needs healers. It needs people to lead a definition of a different way because there's a shit ton of people out there that do not fit into a drop-down box. And Mm. I think if we start to kind of unpick that, and stop being so rigid and narrow-minded with our definition of womanhood and the word normal. I think we can pretty much write it ourselves. And if we do feel different, I think it's about not necessarily trying to disconnect from that difference and berate yourself and harm yourself and harm others around you. It's about, it's really about learning who you are and getting really up close personal with that. And the bad, you know, as you said, you go to Bondi, you've got a bunch of demons. There's an awful lot of fessing up you have to do. And it takes time and work and effort. And as you, you know, like we've said, we're really good at disconnection. So really the job is like the reconnect, even though we talk about our pasts, we talk about, you know, hair raising stories, sexual encounters, like all that stuff. But I think it's also about giving yourself permission to, I don't know, forgive, maybe forgive parts of yourself that others might have judged. You know, we don't go out of our way to have a bad day, do we? Or don't
0: like ourselves. No, it's incredibly um, painful. It certainly is for me and I'm sure it is for you when, when you, um, you realize you've been spending You realize you've spent your life in in, in not being present and disconnecting, and then having to reconnect again. Uh, I found it, and I'm finding it incredibly painful. What is what? I mean, if you were to describe the impact of having no vagina on your life, how would you describe it?
1: <clears throat> well, my first thing that popped to my head was, "Oh my god, it's been my biggest career break." Um, I was definitely born. <laughs> Uh, you know what I mean? It's I've, I've got you know the media and the appearances and the TV. Um, I think it's also about sort of repurposing our pain. So as you, I don't. It's quite scary. Like one on one breath, and I don't know if you feel like this. There is a regret going. Oh my god, have I just been in an emotional coma for two decades? Or yes, yes, have I got another stab? I know that sounds funny, but women can women too do tend to get a little shelved as well sometimes. And I think, oh, I haven't, I haven't been married, and I haven't got a baby. So what on earth? What am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with all this space where children would be running around? What am I going to do with all this pain or knowledge that I've sort of cultivated over the years? Um, No vagina. It's a funny one because there's still so much shame, even up to in the recent months, I have been, I've lost opportunities for how candid I am and, and how honest I am. And I, I just, I don't quite understand. For example? Um, I did a, I did a Instagram reel that went viral, um, a couple of years ago. And my friend, um, in Australia, Amy, and I got a rock melon and. I was trying, we we're trying to work out what's the best fruit that could depict a vagina and they didn't have any melons in the shop. So we went for a rock melon and I'm, I'm not really, a- it was sort of tasty afterwards, but anyway, that's a completely weird and separate story. <laughs> so we did this reel and, um, it, yeah, it, it in three weeks, it got viewed over 500,000 times. So I was like, Oh my God, this is good. Like this is, people are really interested in this. There's, there's a conversation that we're happening here. People want to start talking about hard stuff, but it wasn't for everyone. And it was too honest, apparently. And using the word vagina, I, um, was shameful and I, had to step away from a number of opportunities and relationships that I had really built strong connections with and various charities because I associated potentially their work with such brazen honesty and sometimes I find people are really happy to hero you and cheerlead you to do the work but if you t- were to ask them, do you share my story? Like, do you, what part of the story do you share? If you, you know, speak to people and they're like, Oh, pretty much just the womb stuff. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Right. I said, it, it'd be really helpful if you can, <laughs> if you can, I'll do my part. It'd be really helpful if you could share the whole diagnosis. Because if we halve it and put the other bit, the, the, the vagina bit in the shadows, we're kind of validating that every woman should live there too. And there's nothing wrong with the word vagina. It's not a dirty word. Sex isn't dirty. Um, intimacy is wonderful. Bodies are incredible. And yeah, so living with it would would I change any of it? No, not not no. I wouldn't. I think it forms part of our story. I, I don't know. Would you say? Is Samantha X is formed part of your story, big part of your story.
0: I always knew I was going to be Samantha X. You know, I had to do something with my dysfunction. I just, I just capitalised on it, and I agree. You know, people cheerlead me about being fearless and courageous and speaking for sex workers, but not many other people do, and it comes at a massive cost. You know, I am stigmatised. I have been stigmatised. People do judge. Um, they're quite happy to, to read my books and to hear my story, but they don't necessarily want to be associated with me. Um, mm. on a professional level sometimes I mean that's changing but I, I understand and this is why we have so much in common yeah. and you know I grew up thinking sex was dirty and intimacy was was um, embarrassing and and we didn't talk about sex and for me to become a public sex worker it's just it's just a massive fuck <laughs> quite to anybody, basically isn't it you, well it's, it's quite the out. leap um yeah Hmm. it's uh, acting out completely and now um, you know the the dust has settled I'm kind of part of me is mortified Um, but tell me about how do you feel about sex now?
1: When you said about being mortified I was just sort of in my head thinking about when you say you know being judged and stigmatised for the work you do I mean that again is a very kind of stereotypical belief system that we've got but in essence I'm sure that you know you kind of ex you've exposed and oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this you exposed a normalcy when it comes to pleasure and being able to deliver pleasure and make people feel comfortable and accepted and desired because ironically, isn't that all we want? Take away the transaction, isn't that what we want and I think Weirdly, sex is probably one of the most common acts that human beings will do, yet it's the most under discussed, shamed act mm. that, that there can be. Yeah. Um, so the redevelopment around my opinion around sex and desire, well, one, I absolutely Feel desirable now, which is super great i 've got these <laughs> i 've got really big boobs, and they 've really pissed me off for a long time because <laughs> it kind of reminds me you know what they won't do and why they're there and whatever so so many times I thought maybe I should just get them lopped off but mm. i'm kind of enjoying i'm sort of enjoying my body now and i'm enjoying it you know being desired, and I think me and sex now is a lot more sober because there's nothing mm. like, um, you know, when I first was having sex with people, I would be drunk because I thought, well, let's figure it out. You know, one guy even said, I think there's mm. a blockage. And I'm like, oh, God, I haven't dilated right. enough or something like that. Ali, at least their dick seems really big.
0: <laughs> I mean, well, like, I mean there's, one, you know, there's one
1: advantage for them. I know. I could probably imagine that, you know, imagine if you sort of like kept a record of the people that you slept with and, and some of the people that have well endowed and like oh my god I have done so well with making my vagina it accommodates it accommodates and, but, but um but relate but sex but sex now is one like I <clears throat> I really I really am pleased that I've given myself a chance at liking it and um being explorative and and I think I'm probably, I don't know. It's like a chicken and the egg. I don't know if I love t- thinking about sort of sexual intimacy, um, and, and sexual self-worth because of MRKH or that was always really embedded in me. But I have, um, I have a, I think I have a really great attitude towards it. Now and again, I'm thinking, God, like, I really don't ever want to get into a situation where I have to di- dilate again. Um, I, I remember when I was younger, I was like, you need at least three sexual partner backups because if your <laughs> vagina is to decide to come and it doesn't actually doesn't do that, it doesn't kind of like shrink back to its original form. But I thought I'm buggered if I'm going to ever dilate again, that's just not going to happen. Um, so no, I'm, I'm really, ha- I'm really happy. I still, God, don't like, I still have days where I don't want to look at myself naked. I mean, I think a lot of women, sadly, would like to fix something tweak Mm. something tighten this tighten that but um I'm starting to see myself as a a a desirable woman and that's taken what 25 years but it's great Mm. and I'm all for healthy communications around sex with partner or not or with friends or whoever that might be yeah and how can I ask you, how's your relationship got- with sex now? I know
0: we're going to talk on my podcast. Oh. I just think it would be really lovely to <laughs> give the viewers a comparison. Um, look, I, well, you know, I think the irony for me or my story is that I made a business out of being in the sex industry, yet I haven't had sex for so long. And I need to relearn, like you, I need to relearn how to have in- I need to relearn intimacy. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference. Um, I can no. do snap, huge difference. And you know, people might think, "How did how did I do my job?" I look at people and think, "How do they stay in relationships?" You know, that to me is far scarier than Gosh, than, yeah. than, than being an escort and, and having transactional sex. I admire anyone in a long term relationship. Intimacy quietly terrifies me, so it's something I'm I'm not going to rush into. But it's almost like I've become celibate because I need to relearn so much Mm. about Mm. sex and intimacy and and not be, you know, and like you, I've got these massive boobs and I I have a really fraught relationship with them because they just remind me of being Samantha. That's not something I really want to constantly think about when I look in the mirror. So Mm. the the, the fantasy of having them taken out and, and being all natural you know, is huge at the moment. But I do what like a having journey. big as well, saying that. But, yeah, the relationship with my body is um, a comp- complex one.
1: No, as you were talking then about, as you are talking about intimacy, and I was thinking, I think sex is, sex is something that can be with it like, sex goes to a feeling of object. And I think intimacy goes to a place of subject. So I think... Bodies can be, you know, bodies can, as I say, move in the right way, say the right things, make the right noises. But I think intimacy is when someone, you let someone emotionally in to you as well. And as you say, that takes time because if you can't be intimate with yourself, I'm not talking about masturbation, but if you can't have a sense of likeness in your body, then intimacy with a partner will probably, you know... It it takes time. It takes a lot of healing to do. And yeah, as you say, relearning. And as you say, there's an awful lot of relationships out there. And I'm not, you know, this isn't a knock on relationships, but they, from the outside, they can be very neat and very sort of like cookie cutter. And you wonder, even in behind those closed doors, is there intimacy there? So I think however we grab it or use it and do it is, you know, it's not it doesn't have to be convent, it doesn't have to be conventional, whatever conventional
0: means. It <laughs> doesn't have to be conventional. Exactly. Mm. And I I and definitely as an escort, I, I I I got to see firsthand the reality of some relationships because and I would hear the reality of relationships from from one side. Um, mm. Ali, I know we've been on the phone, we've been with yes. doors now. So tell me, Ali, what does the future look like for you?
1: Well, I have um, I finished writing my debut memoir last year so I'm working with an agent in London. What's it to
0: called? Oh,
1: the title is the title is still a work gotcha. in progress. Okay. <laughs> but it's it's a, it's good and I've changed it quite a few times <laughs> because as I've explored this journey through the last 6 months as well, the titles changed because my thoughts have changed. Um so that is, yes, yeah, so we're in the process of pitching out to publishers, which is incredibly exciting. I've always wanted to write a book. I'm launching a podcast in July called Stigma Shakers, where I will be interviewing a wonderful range of guests, including your wonderful self, about stigmatized topics. So that includes um, within working within the sex industry, um, grief and loss, single shaming, Activists, like it's going to be really, really juicy. And now I'm probably just in the process of rediscovering who I am as Ali, the writer in London, and seeing where that path takes me. Because this really, this is kind of like my life's living coming into fruition. This is where I've learned it all, I've unlearned it all, and now I really want to kickstart a campaign around why we should get rid of the word normal, <laughs> why we should or could redefine womanhood and start smoking out some of the, the stigma and, and put that shame to bed.
0: Ali, thank you so much. I, I really admire you. you. And I get the sense that uh, from you and from like, and like me, I, I don't regret the past. And I, I'm sure you being born without a vagina has shaped you, who you are today and given you your strengths and your story. Um, and in turn, you can help other women. So thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you for providing such a safe space to tell such an intimate story. And I'm so pleased we've connected. I know that I wish I was in Bondi right now, but the story unfolded how it was (laughs) unfolded. We're here now, and I'm so pleased that women like you in the world exist because having these conversations that matter really has a chance at triggering change. So thank you very much, Amanda. Until the next time. Enjoy Italy. Until next time.
0: <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Exposed. If you enjoyed this episode, there's plenty more to come. Episodes are released fortnightly, and hit follow so you don't miss out. And for more goodness from your host, visit the show notes.